Amen. Thank you. As you're being seen, you'll be opening your Bibles to Matthew 28. Before uh, we, we jump into uh, what Scripture is telling us here, um, I, I would just like to announce, I, I thought uh, this event was going to happen later in the, in the year, more like in the springtime, but became aware uh, just two days ago that uh, this coming Saturday on the 25th, uh, Wayne Hills Baptist Church is having what they call a beast feast. Now, uh, it's just what it sounds like. It's uh, dead animals cooked for men. Um, and, and so uh, so I would like for a, a lot of us to go, but they need to know we're coming, all right? Um, so I'm going to just, the easiest way is if you call Wayne Hills and say, hey, I go to Calvary and I'm coming to the beast feast, but uh, uh, if you can let us know, we'll let them know how many told us as well. But I, I really want an opportunity for you to go. We're starting men's Bible study tonight, uh, right after the business meeting. And uh, Wayne Hill's already doing a similar thing. And so it would be cool for us to go and fellowship with them and, and see what they're doing. All right. So that's just a quick announcement. But I'm, I'm looking forward to a lot of things God is doing. Uh, if you're new or this is your first time or... You didn't come with someone. My name is Stuart. I'm a lead pastor here at Calvary. And uh, we are in, in kind of a, a short series uh, of Jan in January. It's, I couldn't even tell you how I got here. But I uh, realized that I wanted to kind of express what are the basic things about our church that we're doing. And, and I have to kind of make a confession today. And that is this. I, I had a, an outline done, um, which I do every week. I, I kind of outline what I want to say, and then uh, I've already done some study. I continue that study. But when I get, well, I think this is about where I want it to be, then I start looking at what other people say. And I was doing that this week, and I ran across a guy smarter than me, better than me, which isn't hard. I don't have to look far for that. But, but, uh, but man, what he had to say was so good. And so I stole it. And uh, I didn't hear him, I read it, and, and I'm not going to say everything he said or exactly the way he said it, I'm sure uh, of that, but I, I stole his outline, so in case you run across it, um, I, I encourage you to, to see what all he said, but I'm, I'm going to take part of the sermon as almost, uh, at least the outline is verbatim of, of, what, he, of what he had. Uh, his name's John Piper, uh, and it was on this text, so you can look it up if you want to. And uh, you can see what I was talking about. But uh, today, uh, I was, I was going to... I know there's nothing on the board. If you got a bulletin, I hope you did, or, or worship folder, in there is a whole big list of scriptures, because I'm going to... We're going to cover a bunch of scriptures today. Not explain them all, but just kind of read them, show them to you. So you've got that list, so you don't have to write all that down. I was hoping we would have uh, the notes, and maybe we'll get those in, a, in just a minute. I uh, see there's light on that one, not here yet. Once he gets it, he'll throw it up there. Um, so you'll see kind of the topics. I'm going to say them, but I talk fast and you might miss it. But uh, uh, to, to lead into this, uh, last week we talked about uh, and started talking about the foundational principles or, or purposes of a church, what it to be doing uh, in, in, a, in, a, in a way of saying it in five different categories. Um, the church's basic thing that we are supposed to be doing is is leading people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ so that they can make an informed choice to follow him as he calls them. And then after that, to help them learn 
What does it mean to be a Christian? What, what does that look like? And that's the two main things the church should be doing. Well, we break it down to five things that as a church, uh, as we do these things, those other two, uh, those two things happen. And the first two were in the great commandment in Matthew 22, 34 through 40. And it was worship and ministry. Thankful people will worship and Jesus people will serve other people. And so, and so those two things are very important. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it to love your neighbors yourself. Today we're in Matthew 28. That's why I ask you to turn there. 18, 19, and 20. That section of the Bible, we call that the Great Commission. Matthew 12, this we call the Great Commission. This is what Jesus commissioned us to go and do. And so uh, I've looked at that, talked about that, preached on that uh, more times than I can number. And many of you have read it, heard it, quoted it uh, yourselves. Maybe you've taught it yourself. And so, you know, I'm going into it and I'm not looking for something brand new because sometimes the best things are the old things, right? Um, and, And there's no need to try to make it something that's not. It is what it is, and it's never gotten old, and it's still what God wants us to do. But I found, when I discovered that other sermon I read, I discovered that I had made a mistake many of us make, and that is, I skimmed over maybe the most important part. I was in a hurry to get to what we ought to be doing, but I was skimming over why and how we should do it. And it's not really the how to do it, it was it was the authority to do it. See, we, we live in a society today where we do not want to be submitted to authority. I, I see this. Uh, I, you know, people said that when I was a kid about my generation. And we say, we're saying about a new generation. You can't condemn everybody in a certain age group to be that way. But we do see, and completely in our society, and I, and I don't think uh, I would get too much argument on this, where we have lost some respect for authority, that whether they be in the a policeman, uh, some in the military, sometimes people are against that. In our political world, we don't trust our leaders like they did when I was a kid. I certainly don't trust anybody talking on TV about any subject anymore at all, period, just about. I shouldn't say that because there are some preachers on TV, but I'm thinking about news and and, uh, other announcers of, of that kind. Um, back in the day, you know, Walter Cronkite, when he finished the evening news, would say, and that's the way it is. And I had a professor that said he jumped up in front of his kid and pointed at the TV and said, that's not the way it is, Walter. That's the way you said it is. That was the first time I realized that that guy might have been lying to me. And now we know that. And we see this loss of respect for authority. And that bleeds into the church because we're experiencing that in the world but who has ultimate authority? These verses let us know that. So if you just stand up, it's three verses. Um, I know you've been up and down a lot, but let's just stand up for a second. And beginning in verse 18, now the 11, uh, 16, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Do you ever doubt? And do you ever feel bad about doubting? As part of the human condition, um, and uh, but g- thankfully the Bible says God is greater than our doubts. Even the disciples standing there, looking at a risen Savior, were struggling to to hold on to that. But verse eighteen says, "And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit." 
teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Next week, we're going to come back to these verses and we will talk about them in more detail. But for now, would you bow with me in prayer? Father God, in Jesus' name, I just ask that, Lord, um, anything I say would not be for me, but from you. I pray that you would open our ears and eyes of understanding that we can behold the wonderful things in your word. And then, God, I pray that more than hearing and understanding, Lord, may that be in the fullest, that it would dig deep in our heart and that we would obey. And that, Lord, uh, may we right now set our mind to joyfully obey what you command us. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be, you can be seated. It, the thing I want you to take home with you today is that Jesus' authority gives the church the power to unleash his power in the world and in all the world. Uh, good, that's up there now, good. And, and, and here's why I say that. I, I have run into a few people. I didn't hear this as much as I've heard people say this happens. But sometimes people would question, what right do we have as Christians to send people to another country when they've got their own God, their own way of doing things, and we go in there and tell them that they're wrong and that Jesus is right and they, they have to have Jesus. That's why. That's why. We got to know the why. Why? How dare we? And, and, and we think of that, and that's easy to think of it, 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 uh, for missionaries. But that can even happen here. What gives you the, the right? I mean, we heard a little bit something like that when we tried to give the Jesus uh, film to everybody in Augusta County. That there was a few, and it always happens. Man, you get out there and you start telling about, people about Jesus. Sometimes church will get phone calls. How dare y'all come up here? And, you know, you just get that. And, and so I just warn people, that's going to happen. Don't sweat it. Usually people like that need Jesus more than anybody. Right? David Wilkerson said his daddy told him, or his granddaddy told him, when you throw a rock in a pack of dogs, the one that yelps, the one you hit. <laughs> and I found that to be true. I've said stuff. People come up, you talking at me. I go, I don't even know you. How could I have been? I don't even know what you're talking about. Sometimes we hear the truth and we take it very personal. That's a good thing to do. Uh, I, I, I used to, uh, I saw this cartoon one time. The pastor was shaking hands at the back door and he was going, nothing personal, nothing personal. <laughs> well, I mean for it to be personal. I want you to apply it to yourself. I need to apply it to myself. And, and, and as I said, we just live in a place and a time where it seems like a respect for those that went before us or people in authority has been lessened. And yet Jesus comes along in Matthew 28 and verse 18. And it really, it drives me crazy when anybody ever just quotes 19 and 20. You got to have 18, but then I fell in the same trap. I was just skipping past that. I was going to talk about 19 and 20. And I read this sermon and, and it made me stop and pause and think about, wait a minute, hold on. Where does this authority for us to do what he asks us to do come from? And it comes from him. Well, the first question then is, who gave Jesus this authority? You see, these are the last words Jesus says before he goes to the Father. And I, and, and I want to say about his authority that this is not potential authority. This is not authority to act if he wants to. This is authority to act. He is, this is an active thing. This is actual authority. He is the ruler. He is in control. He is running the show. And you could say, well, didn't Jesus, wasn't Jesus always having all authority? I mean, he's the second person of the Trinity. God, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. He existed from eternity past. He will exist into eternity future. There was never a time he was not. He always was. 
And he, and he is, and you would be right. He's always had that authority as God. But something happened. Something changed. It, before the world was even formed in the councils of God, they decided, God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, together decided, we're going to create the universe you and I see. And in that universe, in one of those galaxies, we're going to put in one solar system a planet. And on that planet, we will put plants and animals and water and land and all the things that are here. And then, after we do all that, we're going to put a creature in there that's never existed before, and we're going to call him a man. And then we're going to give him a companion, and she's going to be called a whoa, man. In Hebrew, it's Ish and Isha. Ish is man and Isha is woman. I-S-H and I-S-H-A. Because she came from man. And we're going to let them be in charge. But they're going to mess up. They're going to not like us. They're going to rebel against us. And they're going to need a savior. And I don't know how God talks to himself, the Trinity. I don't pretend to. But let me just put it where humans can get a little bit of understanding. Jesus thought of all that. Colossians 1 tells us he did. That he is the author of it. He's the one who made it all happen. And he said, and when that happens, I'll go down there and I'll become one of them and I will live a perfectly obedient life and all their sin on me and I'll die in their place so that they can know us. And the father said, in essence, if you do that, I'll let you control the Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit said, sure, I volunteer, I'll do that. And I'll go down and I'll fill them with the power of God in their churches and their individualities. And God said, good deal, let's do it. And so God, Jesus always had that authority. But something happened in Bethlehem. God put on a human form. And the Bible tells us in Philippians, having been obedient, the Father has exalted him and given him a name above every name. That in the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, Jesus is Lord. And here's something in and. Piper said it in a way that just, I hadn't heard it exactly that way before, but it got me. Having done the will of the Father, having obeyed their plan that they came up with and doing all of that, God exalted a man to rule all of creation, all of the nations, and all of the church. The man, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Son of Mary, Son of God, rules. Well, that about made me fall out of my chair as I was reading that. It's like, that's it. Good night. And so the Bible tells us that God gave this authority to the Son. And he, it was always the plan. But here's some scriptures. I hope they're listed there for you. Matthew eleven twenty-seven. 27. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So Jesus reveals the Father to us. In John three thirty-five. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. In John 13, 3, Jesus, knowing the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, there's his authority. Ephesians 1, 20, 21, he that worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. John 17, 2, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all, uh, to all whom you have given him. 
And in John 1, 1 through 4, let not your hearts be troubled. I'm sorry, uh, John 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also, and you know the way where I'm going. John 14, 1 through 4. So God gave Jesus that authority. All right, God the Father gave the Son that authority. But he gave it to the God-man, Jesus Christ. Now, how much authority does Jesus have? I got 10 things for you. 10 ways it shows us the authority of Jesus. Now, you say, why are you doing this? I'll tell you why. I thought I told you before, but if I didn't, I'm going to tell you again. Because there's no need for us to go out here and tell anybody about Jesus unless we have some authority to do so. Right? And the authority is found in God the Father who's given to the Son. The Son has commanded us to go. There are a lot of theological arguments that theologians have. It's sort of, we get paid to sit around and argue over stuff. I don't know why, but that's kind of how it goes sometimes. And, and, but, but here's the bottom line of it all. God is God and I'm not. I, I read a quote this week of, uh, of, of, of Adoniram, of, uh, I'm sorry, Hudson Taylor, who was an early pioneer missionary to China. And he said this, there are three great truths. God is, God truly exists, God is communicated to us in, in a book, the Bible, and he means what he says. And Jesus has commanded us to go all the world and share the gospel. And he has all authority to command us to do so, and he gives us the authority to go. That's why I said, you're going to stand before, Jesus said, you're going to stand before, just don't worry about it, I'll give you what you to say in that moment. He has commanded us to go and to speak on his behalf. So how do we see his authority? First of all, we see that he is the creator of all things. We've read it other places, but John 1, 3, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus made all things. When I was a kid, I thought that meant houses and everything, but he made the stuff houses are made out of, right? Secondly, we see him as the sustainer of all things. Not only did he make all things, it says in uh, uh, Hebrews 1.3, he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. He, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making pur purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. What I said earlier, I want to put in your mind. Where is that body that hung on the cross that bled for us? Where is that body now? Where is the body that, in which Jesus was crucified? Where is that body? I will tell you, it's seated at the right hand of the Father. You've got to get this reality in your head. In Colossians 1.17, And he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. He sustains that which he created. Thirdly, he's the governor. He governs the natural world. The Bible says in Matthew 10, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. I, on Instagram, I, I, I follow this thing called birds of the world or birds adored or something. And it shows me these pictures of birds. Man, today it was this unbelievable, colorful, beautiful Finch, and it was in Scotland. I was like, well, I didn't see one when I was there. I wish I'd seen it. It was, it was unbelievable. Every time one of those little finches in Scotland lands on some mountain peak in the highlands and eats a seed, God knows it. God knows it. Because he 
provided the seed and the place for the bird to find it and eat it. And he directed him to it. He said in Luke 8, he said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even winds and water to obey him? God gave us dominion over the earth, but he didn't give us the, the power to start or stop wind or water. We can't stop a tidal wave from hitting a shore. We can't control the tides. We can't do any of that. But Jesus can. He has the authority to do it. John Newton wrote a hymn that says, There's not a plant or flower below, but makes thy glories known. And clouds arise and tempests blow by order from your throne. While all that borrows life from thee is ever in thy care. And everywhere that we can be, thou God, are present there. Sometimes you'll be in a boat with Jesus and he'll put you in a storm. But he's Lord of the storm. How big is the storm does it take to sink a boat Jesus is in? <laughs> Pretty big boat, right? Pretty big storm, I mean. So we can rest in the fact that no matter how bad the storms in our lives are, he, he controls the storms. He's got authority there. You see, he's sovereign over Satan and his demons. It says in Mark 1, and they were all amazed. So they questioned among themselves saying, who is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even unclean spirits and they obey him. In, John, in 1 John 5, 18, we know everyone's been born of God, does not keep on sinning. But he who was born of God... Uh, protects him and the evil one does not touch him. And in Job 42, 11, then came to him all of his brothers and sisters and all who had known him before and ate bread with him in his house. Talking about Job. And they showed him sympathy and comforted him for all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. And each of them gave him a piece of money and a ring of gold. God gave Satan permission to attack Job. I mean, you get attacked by the devil. God may have a reason for that. Because he controls the devil. The devil doesn't realize that as much as he would like to admit. But God can stop him or let him do things. In Job's case, he let him do things. So when you're complaining about what's going on in your life, who, are, who is ultimately... So you've got to get a different perspective. God, why are you allowing this in my life? What are you showing me? What are you teaching me? What am, what am I supposed to do? Do you just want me to be faithful through the suffering to give you glory that you can sustain me in suffering? Or do you have some other goal or do I need to learn something? Is, is something happening to me that, that's going to preach to the nations? I mean, it does not make sense for five young men with babies at home to go and witness to, to an Indian tribe in South America that are terribly afraid of white people because the only times they ever encountered them, they enslaved them and killed them. So they just went ahead and killed those five young men. And they knew that was a possibility and they went anyway. Like the one missionary getting off the boat, the man said, you will die here. And he said, I was dead before I got here. Because God's got this under control. But out of that man, how many millions of people have gone to missions because those people sacrificed? He governs in the affairs of history. Listen. I believe in voting. I believe we got the right to vote and we ought to vote. But guess who's in charge of that? <laughs> it ain't Russia. It ain't the Ukraine and it's neither political party. They will make war on the Lamb and the Lamb will conquer them for He is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And those with Him are called chosen and faithful. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings. He sets up kings. Wisdom to... Uh, sorry. 
he gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. Daniel 2, 21. You see, the sentence is by decree of the watchers, decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know the most high rules in the kingdom of men, and gives it to whomever he will, and sets up the lowliest of men. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? Daniel four seventeen. Every thing that comes against the church of God will, by the end of time, backfire. Sixthly, he rules over disease. This, this is dear to my heart, and this is a hard one for us to hear. The Lord said to him, talking to Moses, remember what Moses said? God said, hey, I want you to go down and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. He went, uh, Lord, I don't talk so good. The Bible says he had a speech in heaven. Don't know what it was. Uh, my pastor friend, Dr. McFarland, he stutters, and God called him to preach. He said, you can't do that. I stutter. <laughs> and God showed him this verse. Then the Lord said to him, who's made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? I mean, I, I live with a lifelong disease. Got it, developed it, figured out I had it when I was seven. I don't know the right word there. Uh, 53 years later, I still got it. Well, God, why'd you do this? Instead of, thank you, God, for doing this. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit with power, and he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him, Acts 10, 38. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with loathsome sores on the soles of his foot the crown of his head. And he took a piece of broken pottery with which to scrape himself while he sat in the ashes. And then his wife said to him, Job, Job had lost his children, his fortune, his animals, and God left him this woman. I don't know why. <laughs> then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. And he said to her, You speak as a foolish woman would speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? And all this Job did not sin with his lips. He said, whatever. My fa one of my favorite verses about Mary, whatever he says, do it. And she said, my favorite is when she said to the angel, whatever the will of the Lord is, be it done to me according to your word. Willing to take whatever for the will of God. Does that include disease? Now, can God cure disease? Sure, I've seen him do it. I've seen him cure incur the incurable. I I've witnessed that with my own two eyes. We, 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 very first church I was passing people... And we had a guy that got a back injury so bad that he could not, he couldn't stand up, he couldn't walk. He was a young man. And he believed God wanted to heal him, and one day God did. And he just stood up out of the wheelchair, and he was well. It was, it was, it was crazy wild. And we're Baptists. <laughs> you know, we don't really expect that to happen, but it did. Wasn't long after that, I was at the 7-Eleven down the street, and Lay said, I heard your church has gone charismatic. You talking to me? He said, yeah. I said, why would you say that? I heard somebody got healed. I said, you don't have to be charismatic to get healed. Because <laughs> God's in charge of that. And if he wants you sick, it's fine. Uh, one of my daughters was, uh, went to Africa for two weeks. And she was sick before she got on the plane. She was sick all the way there. She was sick for the first week she was there and was laying on a cot and hundred and something degree temperatures. And she said she asked, and, all, and her luggage got lost too, by the way. 
she had to borrow clothes from the other kids on the trip. And she said, she said to God, why would you bring me all the way to Africa to lie on a cot sick? And he said to her, in the way God speak to her, how dare you question that I could use you lying on a cot in Africa sick? She said, okay, then I'm content. And then she got well and got up. God healed her and she got up. You see, Jesus is also sovereign over the sinful acts of men. In Acts 4, For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles, the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Acts 4, 27, 28. You ever thought about what that means? We, we like to say, well, the Romans, the Jews, all this stuff. Jesus, uh-uh. Jesus said, nobody takes my life. In fact, that's a verse here. It says, uh, and in John 10, 18, no one takes it from me. I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I received from my father. That Jesus died on his own will, but he used those people to put him to death. And that was God's predetermined will. And so many times we look at things in life and think of them as coincidences or accidents. There is only divine appointments in your life if you're a believer. For I deliver unto you, first and foremost, what I receive. Christ died for our sins according to Scripture in 1 Corinthians 15, 3. God said, I will come, I will put on flesh and I will die for your sins. And he did it. Yet it was the will of the Lord. This is Isaiah 53. It's the will of the Lord to crush him. He's put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper his hand. Did you hear that? It is the will of Yahweh to crush his own son to grief, to death, so that you and I could go free. Jesus is sovereign in conversion. In Mark 10, and Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. And Jesus said to them, Children, how difficult is it to enter the kingdom of God? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. They were exceedingly astonished. He said to them, and they said to him, Then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, With man that's impossible, but with God... All things are possible. God is sovereign in our salvation because you can't save yourself. Who shall separate us because he's sovereign over death, our death. The Bible says in, in Psalm 139, I didn't put that verse in there, that the day of my death was written before I was born, before I was conceived. It says before there was one in my days, he'd already written down the day I was going to die. So that day set. You can't kill me and I can't live past that date. It's going to happen. And so... I want you to understand that because it says in Romans 8, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come. Nor power shall ever separate us from the love of God that is in Christ. Romans eight thirty-five to 38. Friend, listen, sometimes as Christians, we, oh, that was so sad that they died. Man, are you kidding me? If you're a Christian and you die, it, it just gets better. And, and, and I, you know, I get it. We're sad and we should be sad. The Bible understands that, tells us that, that you grieve, but not as those who have no hope. We grieve because we're separated for a time, for a season, but it's not the end. The end is never coming for us. There is no end to our life. It is eternal. And when the 
perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on the immortality. Then shall come to pass the sayings written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us a victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord you labor not in vain. 1 Corinthians 15. And Jesus, lastly, the tenth thing, not lastly, but the tenth thing we'll say, has authority over the mission of the church. Well, you say, well, duh, of course, this is his church. Of course he has authority. But I think we forget that. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed through the whole world as a testament to all the nations. Then the end will come, Matthew 24. I tell you, you are Peter on this rock. I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, Matthew 16, 18. And I... I have other sheep not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there'll be one flock and one shepherd, John 10, 16. You see, Jesus has put Calvary here to find those sheep that have to come in that aren't in yet. And our sovereign, authoritative Jesus told us to go get them, to go find them and bring them in. That is our job. And so when we understand his authority that has been given to him, how dare we disobey him? We do not have the luxury of coming to church and just enjoying it and going home and forgetting about it. He has given us a task to do, and he has the authority to make sure it happens. See, I want you to understand, what does understanding that Jesus has all authority do for me and for you? And that's where it's going to hit the road especially. It unleashes our prayers. In Romans 10:1, Paul said, Brothers, my heart desire and prayer to God for them is that they might be saved. You say, well, if God's all that sovereign, why should I pray? Why should you pray if he's not sovereign? Because you're praying to a weak God that can't do anything. But our God can do anything. Nothing's impossible. And he hasn't given me the luxury of knowing the secrets of his divine will. He gives me the joy of discovering that will as I obey him. You know, the Airborne Rangers have a motto, kill them all, let God sort it out. I like to call ourselves Airborne Christians. Witness to them all, let God sort it out. I don't know who's going to get saved. I'm just going to tell everybody I can. Jesus will save you if you'll accept him. You don't have to figure out all the details. What you got to do is be obedient. So we start praying. Never heard anybody pray, Lord, I pray that they'll make up their mind. I hear people praying, oh, God, save them. Right? Because God can do that. It unleashes evangelism. Because we're guaranteed victory. Delivering you from your people to the Gentiles whom I'm sending you to open their eyes. This is Jesus talking to Paul. So they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. They may receive forgiveness of sin, a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Acts 26, 17, 18. Jesus, uh, Jesus is comforting Paul and said, dude, people are going to get saved. Just keep going. Don't worry. I know you shipwrecked, you hurt, all that. I got you, man. Go witness. And Paul goes, all right, I'm ready. Let's go. And whatever happened, he kept doing it. And it'll unleash you to lose all your fear because he's got you. He that watches over Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. He's always watching over us. Remember the bird landing and getting a seed? And he noticed that. He certainly knows when you're talking about him to somebody. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ. We reconcile to God. And thirdly, it unleashed for the battlefield. I just can't imagine an army trained and ready to go. And their commander says, all right, guys, saddle up. We got to go. I'm just not feeling it today. 
Maybe tomorrow. Let me sleep on it. It might feel better tomorrow. No, army just says, yes, sir. And they start hustling, right? And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore. He's given us the call. He's given us the command. You don't need a call. You just go, because he's already told us that. Well, how does that work in your life? Well, first of all, conscientiously surrender to Jesus' authority in your life. Maybe you have just wanted fire insurance. You came to Jesus and said, yeah, I want you to come to my heart. I don't want to go to hell. Take me to heaven. And then you just went about your way and forgot about him. Completely and conscientiously surrender to Jesus' authority. What do you want me to do in every area of your life? Every area. And this week, every morning, ask Jesus to lead you to speak to someone about him. Just, just ask him. Hey, Lord, I know you got some people you want in the fold, and I don't know who those are, so just open a door of opportunity. The problem is we don't have opportunities. The problem is we don't see them. But once you're praying and asking God to make you aware of them, you'll see them, okay? So just go looking for it this week. And then when Jesus gives you the opportunity, take it. <laughs> just, just do it. You know, you say, oh, yeah, he gave me 10 opportunities. Why, how'd it go? Well, I didn't use any of them, but I had 10 opportunities. I don't know about you, but but I remember failures a lot longer than I remember any success. I remember riding on a plane with a guy, and usually when you get on a plane with strangers, I was all by myself. They don't want to talk, even if you do, right? This guy wanted to talk, and I didn't. And we flew, I don't know, one, two, three hours together with him trying to start a conversation, and I was too tired to say anything. And then at the end, God said, well, you failed that one. Gave me an opportunity right there, and I didn't take it. I mean, right there. So when he gives you an opportunity, listen, take it. No matter how you feel, no matter what you think, take the opportunity. There's your chance. And it may be in the weirdest circumstance ever. I told you all about getting pulled one time. And at the end of all that, after I solved all the questions and laid my offensive ticket on my side, I turned around to the state trooper, or the, you know, what, the state trooper is a local policeman, and said, are you a believer? Now, in that instance, he said, yes, I am. So we held hands and prayed. You don't pray with a cop after he gives you a big old ticket. <laughs> are you crazy? Nah, but if he'd have said no, I'd have said, man, you're out here doing a dangerous job. But I know somebody that will ride with you if you'll let him. And I could have had a chance to witness that chance. I had to just pray with him. Nice guy. I love that guy. I don't even know his name now, but I love that guy. He was a great guy. Take your chance this week. Understand Jesus has got this. He's, he's got the authority. Live in that authority of Christ and be a spokesman for him. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we want to be obedient to you.